I am an uh, ordained pastor of Evangelical Covenant Church, so that's what, how I am connected to you. And I'm also connected to uh, Pastor Bill. And, uh, uh, but there's another connection uh, that you may not be familiar with. Some of you know that Cornerstone is birthed out of uh, this one <laughs> uh, long time ago, uh, St. John's Korean United Methodist Church in Lexington, in Mass. And I, I see Eugene is here. I kind of recognize you. Uh, so back in those days, uh, um, this church was EM service of that church. And I was St. John's United Methodist Church. It's my home church. I grew up there. So there's a lot of things that came out of that. You know, um, what's really interesting about your journey, as well as what's been happening in Boston, I can kind of look back because as I'm approaching age 50, you know, I can look back and see a lot of church plants that have come and go, and a lot of things happen. And especially if you're, um, I grew up in Korean church where we've gone through a lot of splits. And maybe if you are, if, if you have experienced that kind of uh, history in Korean churches, it's pretty common in America. So, but even though those things were painful, and uh, I came out of uh, that church before Cornerstone came out, to be part of uh, another church planting movement. But when we look back to my, my youth group days, um, a lot of my friends have become pastors. Even though we had some split ups and, and painful experiences, when we look at uh, all the movement that birthed out of that church, that little tiny church, insignificant church in the American context, you know, like about, I don't know, I can't, I can't stop, but I think there are 10 plus pastors that came out, came out of that church. And then, you know, uh, immediately, I think five churches came out of that church, including this one. And then th th through that second generation of, uh, of five churches, now I think there are 15 to 20 plus uh, churches here in Boston. So I look back to that time. Some parts are painful to to recollect, but isn't it amazing that our faults, our mistakes have caused those kind of painful things, but there are some of us who have done the right thing, really listening to the Spirit of God and following His lead, and then birth, being part of amazing journey that Boston has experiencing. There has been quite revival here. It's not loud, it's not visible, but when you begin to look back and count the churches that have been born out of that, there are a lot here. And you are here because God has brought you here, and I hope that you are blessed as you study, as you live your, find your life here in Boston area, that God, has, God will answer a lot of things for you. And uh, I'm really excited to be here. So God is sending God. God is sending God. If you think about it, we can go all the way back to Abraham, right? God sent him, and he went. And then multiplication happened. If you look at all the biblical characters, God always somehow, some way sent them out. Would you agree? God always sends them out. And even though we may thought it was our idea to plant churches or be part of a movement of church planting or mission or anything, but when we look back, hindsight 2020, right, God has been doing all this work. 
And it's amazing that you guys are in, in this topic of mission, global mission. So because of uh, past, what, two, three Sundays of global mission topic, how many of you guys are now being stirred to, to go on mission trips? Can I see anyone? Still scared? Oh, there's a little. Come on, raise them high. Who's, who's been feeling the, the leading of the Spirit for you to go? All right, all right, good. Very little. <laughs> Isn't that a scary topic, going? But I want you to understand that God sends you, okay? It may not be global context, but he sends you. If you follow God, you will be sent, whether you like it or not, okay? All these accidental church, churches that came out of it, it's because a lot of times when I look back, it's not because we're angry people, sinful people that we need to split. But I think in, in some way, when I look at the spiritual reality of that journey, if you follow God, you are sent. And when we refused, some of us did not want to go. And then, then God will break things up. It'll happen whether you like it or not, whether you're prepared or not. So my message for you today is that be pre prepared. Be prepared to go. Okay? The word apostle, when you think about the word apostle, Apostle means sent. When disciples, 12 disciples sent, were sent out, now they got the title Apostle John, Apostle Peter. Why? Because they are no longer disciples, but they're sent. That's why they're called apostle. Literally, apostle means sent, sent ones. So today's topic, our, uh, we didn't get to read the scripture, did we? So let me read that for us first, because uh, um, so that you know what I'm what I'm getting at. So uh, today's passage comes from Luke chapter 10, 1, 3, 11, and then 17 to 14. Before we dive into this, going is part of discipleship, right? We know that disciples were sent. We know the Great Commission when Jesus resurrected. And he sent them out, right? We know that. But the going was already happening before they were sent. Okay, you can't be sent if you're not going already. So let's check out what's happening here. Luke chapter 10, 1 to 11. After the Lord appointed 72 others, now we have 12 disciples, and they were sent out in chapter 9. Now we are talking about other disciples, 72 and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of the wolves. Carry no money bag, no Napsack, no sandals, and um, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, for, uh, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your, your, um, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, and whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And then, skipping to 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your grace, gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone uh, to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you recognize the timing of this practice of Jesus sending out 72, again, it happened during that first three years of discipleship, right? So going was somehow in some way was a big part of learning discipleship. Meaning it's not about the Great Commission. When you hear the term go, and we stress out because like, I'm not ready to go, God. But going is what prepares you to be sent. And if you think about the Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says, go make disciples of all nations. But that word go is not a command. Anybody know what the command in that uh, Great Commission is? Anyone? The word, uh, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. The command, the only, there's only one word that's, that's a command in Greek word. It's disciple. Disciple is the only word that is a command, and go is not it. Sometimes I think we think that go, because the way that we translate it, sorry, I'm, my, my mouth is like really drying up. Starbucks, or that's a problem, right? Dunkin' Donuts, I needed to drink Dunkin' Donuts. <clears throat> go is not the command. 
Go is uh, what we call, in, in semin there are some seminarians here and, and uh, people who are studying this. Go is a participle, uh, meaning you put ing at the end. So like, uh, so there are two other participles, present partic participle, baptizing and teaching. That's why you put ing to it, right? So command is disciple, and then the supporting participles are uh, uh, baptizing and teaching, but go, go is also a participle. Only thing is that the reason why we don't translate as going is because it's a past tense. It's an aorist participle. Why, why does this all matter? Because it makes sense. So it, we couldn't translate it properly because in English we couldn't capture what that actually means. So going was actually written in past tense, but it's ing, still going. But you started some time ago that you started going. That's what Jesus is talking about. So with many words, if you were to try to capture the meaning of this word, we have to say, since you've been going already sometime in the past, as you go, the command is disciple, baptizing and teaching. That's the, that's the reality. So going goes back to Luke chapter 10. So, in chapter 9, they've been sent out. They've been practicing. They've been going. And that's why he can say, go, since you've been going, continue to go and disciple. Going, therefore, is practice, training, and discipleship. So, purpose of going, number one. Going back to this uh, uh, passage, verse 17, when the disciples came back. I want you to pay attention to this. It said, the 72, kind of like all of us, right? Because we had special 12, and then 72 were passionate to follow Jesus. They were sent out to us the same way. And then when they came back, they returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, here's the difference. In chapter 9, when Jesus sent out the 12, he did instruct them to not only heal, you know, uh, heal the sick and preach the gospel, but he actually said to them, cast out demons too. But in chapter 10, when he's sending out 72, he omitted that instruction. He didn't say cast out demons. He said heal the sick and still say the kingdom of God is near. Why did he do that? Why did he omit, omit that instruction from 72? I believe the reason why is, you know, obviously, seven, 12 disciples get a lot of special instructions. They get to see a lot of insights to what Jesus is teaching them. However, 72 like us, who did not follow Jesus that closely, did not spend, you know, 24 hours with him, we miss out a lot. So I believe Jesus was trying to teach them something that can be only taught by going, by practicing. So I imagine when they went out to villages and start being part of healing ministry, preaching the gospel, especially when they were healing, I believe they saw something amazing. The demons start to feel flee. And what are they discovering at that moment? Can you imagine yourself for a second? You went somewhere, and you were trying to live out what 
Jesus has taught you to do, heal the sick. So somehow maybe you're, you're caring for the poor, for the sick, and you're praying for them, and then you see a body shaking. You hear weird sound coming out of their mouth. And then with screaming and screeching, something comes out. And if you have experienced that, what would you be thinking? If you simply prayed in Jesus' name and you see a remarkable thing like that happen to you, what would you believe after that? Would you believe that you have the authority to cast out demons without even taught that you can do it? The answer is yes, right? You just practiced it and you saw demons come out. And that cannot be taught it's got to be caught, right? Because you practiced it, you saw it happen, now you begin to believe. I had three demon-possessed occasions uh, encounter here in America. I had a lot more in Nepal, but I didn't get to actually cast out demon until I came back to America, and then I, I did it myself, and then, and then I saw it happen. You know, even as a pastor... We teach these things, but it's another thing to actually witness it yourself. When you pray and then demons leave, and then all of a sudden they stop hearing voices, and they come to, you can see in their eyes something changed, and I can see that they're in their clear mind. I believe it because I experienced it. I believe it now. It's not theory anymore, but I've seen it. I have tasted it. No one can take this away from me now because I've tasted that authority. It's the same thing. Healing too. Miraculous healing. We don't, see, get, we don't get to see much. Do you believe that it still happens today? I sure do. Why? Because I also experienced it. I experienced a number of I'm not talking like, oh, my heart feels better, my depression got better. I'm not talking about that kind of healing. I'm talking about real physical healing, which I never experienced before until about 10, 12 years ago. For the, uh, because it, that story is too long, so I won't get into it. But believe me, this kind of authority and power, I believe in now. I don't need to preach about it because I have experienced it. These 72 disciples, if they're going to be sent out, Jesus says, I give you authority, that, that may not mean anything to them. Does it mean anything to you? Do you walk around with that authority with you? A lot of us probably don't, because we haven't experienced it. And that's the problem today, because we don't practice so go and practice. So main number one reason why we need to go is to experience authority. Learn, gain authority. And number two, let me read this. Verse two, he said to them, harvest is plentiful. Jesus said, harvest is plentiful and laborers are few. And, and he says, therefore, pray earnest, earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, the workers, right? And how would you know 
that, you know, I used to think that that meant I'm the laborer, all right? So, but what would I say to, to God, our harvest, Lord of the harvest, to send me out? Because I'm willing to go already. But what we are saying is, no, if you recognize that God is God of harvest, and then what Jesus is teaching us to pray is ask God to send other workers, because he's got workers ready for you to discover, right? It's not saying, God, send me. That's not what I'm saying. Saying, God, send them. I'm already going. Send them. But how are you going to know that this is the reality? How are you going to know that this is the true, uh, true God who will send, send them out? And only by going and only being in, in, immersed in this kind of setting, you will begin to know that when you faithfully pray and then people come, you will recognize them because you've been praying for it. It only comes, this conviction doesn't come from just studying more about the scripture. We do a lot of that, don't we? We study, study, study. But it doesn't mean anything again until you taste it yourself. If you begin to pray, God, send the workers to me, to my area, and when they begin to come, surprisingly out of nowhere, then you begin to believe, oh, God is God of the harvest. I recognize them because I've been praying for it. You got to go not only to gain authority, but there's a lot that you learn from experience. I don't know how many of you guys are grad students or college students. The reality when you come out, when you get your degree and come out and start to look for a job, and when you put your resume together, what do you think the employers are looking for on your resume as number one priority? Your education? I don't know if you have been working on your resume yet. Education is uh, like a couple lines on your resume, right? I went to this school. I majored this. That's it. And sometimes, a lot of times, you don't even, if you're smart, if you're really putting, working on your resume, you don't put that on the top, buddy. You put that on the bottom. Why? Because what they're looking for is experience. They're looking for what kind of experience have you had for me to hire you. So we put the list of things that we have done, we have experienced. Because in this world, we already know this to be true. Experience trumps the, your education. It's kind of sad to say, because I'm sure you guys are paying a ton of money. I did too. Ton of money to, uh, to learn what you're learning. But when you're beginning to look for a job, they look for experience. Why would kingdom of God be any different. When we are doing ministry or when we are serving others, when, when we are about to do some amazing things for the kingdom, why would our experience mean any less? So more Bible study, getting seminary degree will get you prepared for the work that God has for you? No. It's experience. What kind of experience have you had? Experience is what the reason why God wants you to go and, and gain so that you can be sent. And this weird instruction, number three, carry no bag. So basically, God, Jesus is saying, don't take anything with you, right? Don't talk to anyone. Get to the village fast as you can. And, uh, and then don't talk to anyone on the road. Uh, people get confused. Why, why not talk to anybody on the road? What? Because there could be an opportunity for me to lead somebody to Christ. Like, you, won't, you don't want me to talk to anybody on the road? Because, again, 
they have nothing with them. I want you to understand that this is not about going to a next town over that takes like 30 minutes to walk over. This is a day-long journey. And they got nothing with them. No money, no sandals, no clothes. So they're completely in the mercy of someone who might welcome them in. So you go to a day-long trip, and you don't want to be slowed down because you got nothing. You can, be, you can get mugged, you can be injured, and if you don't have anything and you get, you get uh, attacked by somebody in the middle of the road, you got nowhere to go. So Jesus is not saying, like, oh, don't talk to anyone. He's saying, hey, you got nothing with you. Get over there as soon as you can because now you're going to have to knock at the door and say, peace be with you, peace to you, to this house. And then you're looking for somebody to welcome you in. Right? And I think we miss this a lot. I want you to understand this. When you are serving God, we think, we think that we have something to give. We think that we have to be the generous one. But that's not what we find out here. Why did Jesus take away everything that they had to send them out? So that they can learn to depend not only on God, but depend on humanity for the strangers to welcome you in. For us, if we are the disciples going, for us to learn to receive their generosity. Doesn't that sound different from perhaps what you have heard? I've heard growing up that we have something to offer, that we have to be the sacrificial one, to love them first. But here in this Jesus instruction, he's saying, no, I want you to receive first. And that's another way that you can begin. Not only it helps you to realize, oh, Jesus is not saying go after somebody. Even after they say no, even after they're, they're mean to you, still go knock at that door. That's not what he's saying. He's saying look for people who, are, who will like you, people who are kind to you, who will feed you and serve you. If you get any kind of anxiety, because I did growing up, taught in the old school, evangelist means I have to go and knock at the door, share the gospel. They might not like me. We might not become friends anymore. So we burn our friendship because we're making things awkward. Have you ever had that experience? You talk about Jesus and they don't want to be with you anymore. They don't want to be friends with you anymore. You bring this to work, and you make the co-working relationship super awkward because you feel like that's what, it mean, what Jesus said for you to do. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, dude, if they like you, they'll feed you. They'll welcome you. Dude, then, then share with them. Work through them. But if, he's not saying because they don't like you, they, they won't welcome you. Go back there and then say, can you feed me? Can I stay with your house? That's not what he's saying. Our ministry is not actually that difficult, but we make it difficult because we think that we are all that. Because we think that we have no heart to receive from our people. Jesus starts out, you need to be humble. You need to receive first before you can understand what it means to give. Isn't that true about our grace, grace that we have received? Did we deserve any of this that Jesus has given to us? We received first freely given to us so that we can freely give. 
It starts with humility, folks. You got to learn to receive. Don't ever think that you have something to offer before they can love you, they can serve you, and you know how to be that humble and recognize that I am on a person of need too. And be willing to receive that. That's how they're going to know, oh, you are authentic. Why do people think that we are so hypocritical? Why do they not like Christians so much? Why? Because we're, we're full of blank. Right? We're so full of it. We think that we got everything. We think that we got nothing to get from them. We reject their kindness, their friendship. Learn to receive grace and hospitality, not privilege and service. And Jesus, after all this, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What are we talking about? Hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. He just called us little children. See, what he's trying to get at is little children, when the command is given, when advice is given, they would actually obey and they, they would just receive it and just do it, right? Here are disciples who have that childlike heart. When, the, when Jesus says, go and do this, they have done it. And by doing so, this is the main point I'm trying to get at. By going, by doing it, they learn something. They learn authority, they gain experience, and they gain humi humility. And therefore, they begin to realize who this guy is. This is the Messiah. Not only that, the identity of Messiah, they get to see it. But they get to experience power and authority and amazing miracles that come with it. The knowledge that you gain from the field, again, just like on your resume, that's what people are looking for. And that's what Jesus is looking for too. So he says, you saw this and blessed are, are the eyes that see what you see. It's not from what you see from the Bible because everybody has, can gain the Bible. It's not what we're talking about. Reading the scripture is not what he's saying. But because you obeyed and did these things and you see the power of God work in the midst of you, you get to see something that no one else saw. That this guy, Messiah, really truly has the power to give to you and the authority to give to you, to me, to you. And for us to live in a, in a way that can change the world. I encourage you to look around for opportunities. You have heard many great stories for the past couple of few weeks. If opportunity comes your way, take it and go. It doesn't have to be a global mission, but it could be anything that, are, that is, feels a little bit like daunting. God, you want me to go where? Do what? Begin to live that out and see what God will reveal to you. And that's the gold nugget. When you have that kind of experience, not only your life will change, all the lives around you will change as well. And that's what God wants out of us who call ourselves 
disciples of God. May the Lord bless you, encourage you to say yes. So practice going. Say yes to going. Because then, only then you will understand the meaning of being sent. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are grateful. I'm grateful for this community right here. All the talent I see, all the passion, the hunger and thirst to follow you, to worship you, to know you. But Lord, you have given us this instruction, not just for us to study about it, but you knew that in order to really move in the authority that Jesus really gives us and carry that power that Holy Spirit gives us, we cannot wield these things without practicing, without actually obedient and follow your way in the field. God, I ask that you remove whatever fear they might have because fear is a sign of worship. Whatever we fear, that's what we worship. And Lord, we want to denounce things that we fear because we won't only want to worship you. God, I pray that as we look, as they look to their, their things that, are, that, are, that they are afraid of, identify those idols in their lives and say no to those things, but begin to say yes to you, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I bless you in the name of Jesus. May the Lord give you a new vision to see the reality. Accept the challenge that the Lord is giving you. And have the childlike heart to just trust in God when he sends you. When he wants, to, wants you to practice and, and practice going. That you will say yes. That you will go and experience all these wonderful things that you are trying to teach us to gain that you will gain authority in jesus name that you will gain valuable experience that you will become an impactful person that also you will experience humility that everything that we do starts from that ground zero humility in jesus name amen